All right, uh, I preached a message on the theme of the year, theme of the new year over at Hillside. And man, let me tell you, man, Hillside worship today, uh, it was really special. It was really powerful. Uh, it was, it was the glory. And I haven't seen that, I haven't seen that ever like that. But, um, yeah, it was powerful. Um, yeah, people who, uh, yeah, I, I can't go into that. <laughs> yeah, it was the, it's, it's like, you know, when the glory of God comes really powerfully, uh, one way you know that it's the glory is the fear of the Lord. It starts to fill the room. And people that, yeah, they just... The fear of the Lord starts to fill the room. And the fear of the Lord was covering over the, the hillside service today. And it was, it was scary. It was like scary and good. Um, and I had to share that because I really think that um, today is a very significant day. Um, so I'm going to preach a different message here. So if... Uh, you guys, uh, especially if you're a leader, you need to get the 2012 uh, theme of the year. All right, so make sure you listen to it. Uh, it's on our Facebook page. It's already posted. Uh, make sure you get a listen of that because I'm going to preach a totally different word here. Turn to Joshua chapter 3. And uh, I normally don't like repeating myself, so I don't mind preaching a totally different word. But this is a word that I feel like God is marking for today in particular. Joshua chapter 3, verse 5. I'm going to read. Then Joshua said to the people, and then you guys read the quote, all right? One, two, three. Then Joshua said to the people, go, consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. The Lord will do wonders among you. The Lord, word of the Lord for today is, tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. And let me tell you something right now. What happened today at Hillside with the glory of God coming, the fear of the Lord filling the room, signs and wonders breaking out, people were getting jacked up everywhere. That wasn't a Hillside thing. It's for the whole house. And the way that God marked what happened over at Hillside because God was speaking to me before the service about all kinds of different things. And there are things that only I can share right now with the core. So I have to be careful here. I have to make sure that this is palpable for, for the people. Uh, I'll, I'll share it this way. Uh, Pastor Marcus, he, he gave me this. Uh, he sent out an email with this prophetic word on it. On November 16th. It's a Wednesday. He sent it out to Aaron and myself in the core. And the very next day, all this stuff happened. You guys don't have to know about it right now. Okay, All this stuff happened. And I noticed he sent this email. But you know, I was busy. <laughs> I was at, toward the end of my 40-day fast. I'm getting ready to fly out to America to visit my dad. And so I didn't read the word. Until this morning. Now, when I read the word this morning, 
it was scary how accurate Pastor Marcus was. Now, I'm not trying to puff him up. But I am saying this man of God, he heard a, a strong, clear, timely, prophetic word for the house. And I won't get into the whole thing. But I will share the three points that he had, he had mentioned here. And it came out of Joshua 3.5. And the scary part about his prophecy was, you know, looking back at the email, I was like, did this happen before or after all that stuff that you can't know about right now? All that stuff, all that drama happened. Was it before or after? And so I I backtrack, and it was exactly the day before. So he could not have known about all this stuff, all right? So he was definitely prophesying. and I, I, I want to share this word today. All right. So Joshua 3, 5, it says, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow. The Lord will do wonders among you. On October the 11th, which was a Tuesday, I was having my quiet time. And it was on October the 11th, the Lord said, embark on a 40 day fast. And I said, when Lord? And the Lord said, exactly the day tomorrow. The next day, I want you to start this fast and go 40 days. And in the spirit of Malachi, Four six, I want you to turn your hearts, turn your heart toward your father, and I will turn his heart toward you. And, and then God unpacked that for me in the in the forty days I was fasting. But it was October eleventh that God told me to consecrate myself. Now when I did that, I made the mistake of keeping that fast a secret, because you know you read the Sermon on the Mount. You know Jesus says if you fast. Don't go around somber and say, oh, I'm fasting. Oh, poor me. I'm so holy. <laughs> Jesus said, don't do that. The Pharisees do that. They have the reward in full. When you do it, wash your face. Don't let anyone really know you're fasting. And the Father who sees you, who do it in secret, he'll reward you. So, you know, I normally have that mentality when I do these types of things. So I kept it a secret. But later on, Pastor Benjamin was like, no, you can't keep that to yourself. That's for the whole house. You, you got it wrong. You think that's about you and your dad, but it's much bigger than that. And so I ended up sharing it much later, like toward the end of my fast. I shared. And then the cool thing was right away, a whole bunch of sons, like, I mean, girls and guys, they started starting their own fast for their own families because we believe there's a prophetic word for this year. That's, it's the year of family restoration. So we're really sowing in faith and we're seeing breakthroughs all throughout the year. We've been seeing testimony after testimony after testimony. So people started fasting for their fathers, for their mothers. But the cool thing was when I shared that, what I realized was there was a whole bunch of people already fasting. God had already been speaking to them about it. So if I look back at that 40 days and some people are still in it right now. There's like one uh, Emmaus student from Malaysia, you know, you know, this this kid, you know, he, he's never fasted, you know, very, very long. He's doing a 40-day fast, praying for uh, his dad. He wants to do exactly what he saw me do. And he just asked for my blessing last week. I just kind of blessed him. You know, a young, young man just, you know, came out to Emmaus this past semester. God's using powerfully upon, moving powerfully upon him. And so if I look back on this time, and some people are still in the middle of it, it's been a period of consecration. And the... First level of the word is the consecration is for the purpose of family restoration. The purpose of turning fathers' hearts to sons, sons to fathers, solidifying us in the spirit of sonship 
and enabling us to be even better shepherds and leaders in the house of God. That's the first level. But I realize there's a second level. Because what God was doing collectively and corporately in the body, where all these people, irrespective of me communicating about this fast or not, people who were consecrating themselves during this time, they, what they were doing was prophetically partaking in what God is doing for the house into the new year. So here, here's, here's the way it works. Before God does something big, he, he, he doesn't just go, hey, I'm doing this, and now I'm doing this. And he just takes you into the big thing that he's about to do. A lot of times he's more graceful than that. He'll be like, I'm about to do something great. And then you're like, all right, Lord, amen. And then God says, all right, I'm going to prepare you for what I'm about to do, this great thing I'm about to do. And you're like, all right, Lord. And then the Lord says, all right, well, you've got you to consecrate yourself. You know, before the, here in Joshua 3, 5, you know, the Israelites are about to cross the Jordan River into the promised land. That is a significant moment. They were 40 years wandering around the desert. All their fathers and mothers, they all died off because God was angry with that generation for grumbling and having unbelief. So God said, I'm not going to take you in. I'll take your sons in. And so they all had died off. This is 40 years, 40 years of wilderness. And now they're about to enter into physically the first steps into the promised land. So God says, that's a big thing I'm doing here. Consecrate yourself. Get yourself ready. You know, you know what happens when you don't consecrate yourselves for a big move of God? You have the wrong attitude once you get there. You have the attitude of, told you so. What do you mean, told us so? You didn't, t- you didn't even see it coming. People are like, well, you know, I always knew this was going to happen. Or, what's the big deal? We're in the promised land. Big deal. We crossed the river. And the river split for us. That's kind of cool. But big deal. You know, we're just in the promised land. What's the big deal? When you don't consecrate yourselves, the attitude of your heart when you enter into the promised land, your, your attitude is completely missing. The holiness, the power, the drama of what God is doing there. And so, so God tells the Israelites here, consecrate yourselves. And so I believe that on October 11th, God was like, you're the set man over this house. You have to consecrate yourselves because I'm about to consecrate the whole house. Now, here's the thing about consecration. Um, the word consecrate means to, to set apart in the Hebrew. It means to make holy. Uh, Pastor Marcus said, I feel that now is really the time to press in for breakthrough in the areas of false thoughts, relationships, sin patterns. We got to get, when you consecrate yourselves, there's often a turning away from old patterns. Uh, turning away, a cutting away of the flesh, which represents the sinful nature. And so what uh, Pastor Marcus pointed out was, this is a consecration period where God is going to circumcise the hearts of his people. Why? Because in the natural, I don't mean to get graphic, but you know, <laughs> this is a biblical, biblical activity, the biblical thing that they did back there. Uh, when you, in the, in, the, in the natural, if you're a girl and you don't know what circumcision is, in the natural, circumcision is a cutting away of the flesh. Now, the, in the New Testament, we allude to it 
as being not a cutting away of the physical flesh, uh, but circumcision of the heart. So when God takes you through periods of consecration, he's actually, what uh, what he's doing is he's circumcising away the flesh from your spiritual walk. So that you can be really set apart and holy. A holy vessel ready to receive what he's about to do. Ready to participate in what he's about to do. The circumcision of the heart that's been taking place. It's powerful. And so different hidden issues have been coming to light. Circumcision always represents a removal of the things in the flesh as a grace provision for greater intimacy. It's painful but entirely necessary. So that was that period right after October 11th. And then Pastor Marcus, in the second point, he talked about, first was consecration, second was about surrender. And he said, Pastor Aaron's message about the presence of God was such a clear witness in my spirit that God is not only calling us to be set apart, but also to begin to lay down our lives for a new move of God. You know, when God calls us to surrender, it's not a one-time event. You know, when I was in college, I used to go to these Campus Crusade um, conferences, and there wasn't no big signs of wonders. You know, it wasn't like particularly charismatic, but, you know, students were passionate. And at every, there was these annual conferences called Vision Conference. At every Vision Conference, especially the first one I went to, I surrendered everything to the Lord. And I remember the first time I ever did that was scary. Because, you know, in our immaturity, we think if we surrender fully to God, what's God going to do with that? I don't know if that's safe. I don't know if I'm okay with that. And so a lot of times we struggle with giving God our full surrender. Now, when God brings you over that threshold and the first time you do it, it's scary, but it's liberating. It's freeing. You're like, whoo, hallelujah. I have surrendered. I trust my God on a whole new level. And you are. But the weird thing was the very next year, I go to another vision conference, and God will say, I want you to surrender. I was like, well, Lord, I did last year. We're, I'm in the place of surrender. God will say, no, no, no. This is a whole nother level of surrender. So I'd be like, all right, Lord. Is this safe? I surrender all over again. I surrender. It's not like I, I'm nullifying my previous surrender, but I'm surrendering to a whole other level. And I was weeping and crying. And then the next year, God says, will you lay down your heart? You lay down your life for me. You know? So it's been like a continual, I'm not saying it happens all the time, but there were, there were significant moments in which God called me to surrender. And what, what I believe what God is saying for the house right now, He's calling the entire house, both campuses. Will you give me your hearts once again? Will you, will you surrender your lives to me? Lay it down on a whole nother level. Just lay it down again. You know, we have that song. Uh, we have several songs. You know, the, the famous one is, uh, This is my desire to honor you. I'm not like Anthony, but let me try. Uh, <laughs> Lord, with all my heart, I worship you. All I have within me, I give you praise. All that I adore is in you. 
Lord, I give you my heart. I give you my soul. I live for you alone. And every breath that I take, every moment I'm awake, Lord, have your way in me. You know, in college, I sang that song again and again and again. And I try to muster up all the sincerity in my heart. And sometimes I thought when God called me to, to, to sing it with a, with a fresh sincerity, I sometimes thought I had done it before and it was fake. And I was hypocritical about it. But now I look back. Weak love is not fake love, right? I, I, I've told you that before, right? I realized, man, every one of those times I surrendered, it was genuine. Now the problem is, though, the Bible says, do not conform yourselves to patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Hey, John Michael, help me out. There, oh, I'm sorry. Romans 12, uh, verse 1. Therefore, let me go back. Let me go to it. Right, right. Brothers, in view of God's mercy, let me just read it for you. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Now, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. The problem with the living sacrifice is it often crawls off the altar. You know, those lambs in the Old Testament days, they didn't crawl off the altar. But we, every time we lay down our lives, we don't stay there. So, you know, God does call us to do it again and again. But it's not to say what you did before was fake. But it's just to say, I need you to know where you are in your relationship with me. That you are fully surrendered. That you fully trust me. That you fully trust. Even when you don't understand what I'm about to do, you fully trust me. You follow the leading of my voice. You remember what I showed you on the, on the Mount of Transfiguration. You, you remember those moments. In your quiet time, which, which, which I've spoken to you about through your pastor. You remember all that. Now, the cool thing about Pastor Aaron's message on the presence of the Lord, which she, she spoke at a Friday fire. That day was November 11th. Exactly one month after God spoke to me and said, consecrate yourself. November 11th. God says, here's my presence. Lay down your heart before me once again. Are you guys with me, right? Now, let me see. Is there something else I want to preach out of this? Okay, he says, it's only when there is an offering on the altar that fresh fire falls down from heaven. It's only empty vessels that God can fill fully again with his spirit. And I sense that an emptying is taking place in the hearts and minds of the sons and daughters in the house. God has taken them to the place where they have been seeing that without God, they cannot prosper. Many sons and daughters have been trying to hold down their visions and, uh, and God's visions in both hands. But it won't work for too much longer. True love is motivated by giving, by a complete giving of oneself to God and one another. We have learned submission to authority in the house. But I feel like God is renewing our calls to submit to him. And to submit to one another in love. Which brings us to today. 
What's today's date? December 11th. Now, there's something that happened this morning that I can't share. And there's stuff on this prophetic word that I can't share. But can I tell you something right now? God is about to take us into something really big. And that's why that's why the theme of the year is the year of increase. Okay, but I, I think you don't understand. It's like crazy what he's about to do right now. And in the natural, you are you may not understand by your observation. You may not understand what's happening. But the important thing is not to be moved from that place of faith where you absolutely believe that what God has started, he's going to finish. That every prophetic word spoken over this house is still yes and amen. So, so today it's Joshua 3, 3, 5. Consecrate yourselves. It's the latter part of it. Tomorrow I will do wonders among you. We're entering into the tomorrow after today. And I would love to read this, but I can't. Uh, let me just see what I can read. Yeah, you're prophetic, man. This is crazy. I can't share that. Can't share that. Okay, here, here, here's what I will share. All right, here's what I share. Okay. <laughs> All right, so here, uh, we, we are, we, uh, the significance of the Jordan River, what did I mention? The Israelites were going into the promised land. Okay. The last three, four years for us, our church, God has been preparing us. Setting us apart, teaching us, setting us apart, teaching us, preparing us, testing us, increasing our faith. And now he's saying, it's time to cross the Jordan River. It's time to enter into promised land. Now, now I, mean, I love these concepts. I love these metaphors. But it's taking on a whole new meaning with what's going on right now. And uh, one thing Pastor Marcus said was, he said that our Jordan River that we have to cross, our Jordan River, because the Jordan River uh, represented a natural obstacle for the Israelites. Our Jordan River at this time, the distance from Seoul to Busan, our Jordan River is the Busan church plant. So now as we do this Busan church plant, Pastor Marcus, this is a prophecy. This isn't, you know, this is just his prophecy, all right? We'll see if it's right, all right? But I, I bear witness with it. I immediately bear, bear witness with it. And he said that um, as we cross this natural threshold, this will release the faith and the model to go outside of Korea to the rest of Asia. The Jordan being lifted will take us into the promises. And so what we're doing here with the Busan church plant, as we do it, we're walking into our promised land, I'm telling you right now. And I wish I could share with you, but I, you just got to trust me, all right? Here's one thing, and I'll tell you, right? Um, 
<laughs> yeah, Aaron, Aaron and I, we, we, no, we're not pregnant. That's all you want to hear. That's all you want to hear, don't you? We're not pregnant. Uh, Aaron and I, we love you all very much. And uh, we really see ourselves as your pastors, as your shepherds, as your spiritual mother and father. And in the words of Hebrew 13.5, uh, never will we leave you, never will we forsake you. All right. We need you to just understand that we will never leave you guys. I mean, Lord willing, I mean, he, if there's a pre-trip rapture or something like that, I mean, pending all that, but, you know, we will, we will never leave you guys. <laughs> we, are, we are here and we're committed. And man, so, uh, yeah, so God has consecrated us. He circumcised our hearts. Through his presence, he has brought us to a place of intimacy, a greater intimacy where we are in full surrender. And now God is saying, I'm about to do wonders among you. And it's going to be awesome. Thank you, Lord. And so that's connected to the theme of the year, which is the year of increase. Uh, in 2012, uh, this is what I preach over at Hillside real quick. There are three aspects in which we're going to see increase. All right. First Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 12. It says, uh, Apostle Paul wrote, writes to the church in Thessalonica. He says, may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all. May the Lord increase and abound in love. Make you increase and abound in love. For one another and for all. First aspect of increase we're definitely going to see is this year of intimacy is not going to end. It's just going to continue. So one characteristic of this house, if you're a newcomer here, you will notice if you stick around, there's an awesome like friendships, love, intimacy here. Now, irony is the pastor is very functional. Very goal-oriented. You know, and if you, if you haven't really had a sit-down with me, you probably maybe even perceive me that way. Those are lies, by the way. Okay, you think all I care about is getting things done. That's not, that's not my heart. It's just my strength. It's the way I'm gifted. But my heart is obviously uh, to love you guys all, to really relate to each and every one of you, uh, whether it's directly or through the small group leaders, through the pastors that we have, Right? The increase in love is going to continue. The intimacy here in this house is going to continue in 2012. Second increase we're going to see, Acts 2, 12, 24 says, The word of God increased and multiplied. I'll tell you right now, in 2012, the word of God is going to increase here at New Philly. I'm not just talking about more preaching, more teaching. I'm talking about 
the sons and daughters of the house, you guys are going to study the Bible. You guys are going to study philosophers. You know why? One key I understood about theology this semester through my seminary studies. It is something I really enjoyed about seminary. You have to understand that Christian theology did not happen in a vacuum. And Christian theology, even the systematic theologies that are out there, many of them have been greatly influenced by Greek philosophers or modern or post or pre-modern or all those philosophers in the Enlightenment period. All of that has influenced the development of Christian theology. Now, when you understand that, you have an amazing ability to discern what is the word of God and what is the doctrine of man. But most of us, we haven't been getting that in our college education. Now, back in the day, I heard it was very normal. A liberal arts education involved studying all the philosophers and understanding the, the, the framework by which they looked at the world. It's topics like ontology, epistemology. You know, I, I didn't know what any of this meant, actually. And I, and I still have kind of have to remember what each term means. But when you understand all these things, you know, back in the day, liberal arts uh, education, that was standard. But these days, you know, it's hard to find college graduates that actually understand all this stuff. It's hard to find seminary graduates that understand all this stuff. But I realize, man, one thing I really uh, value about Pastor Benjamin is he has a great memory and mastery of remembering which philosopher contributed what. Now, I wish I gained that through this past semester, but let me confess. I did not do my readings. I didn't pay attention in Christian philosophy class. I took the final. Don't do this, (laughs) y'all. With only 30 minutes of studying the material for a whole semester's worth. All right, so I'm not sure how I did on that final. But God was gracious. God was gracious. Um, but what I realized was when I was interacting with Pastor Benjamin, I was just dropping different names. But like, yeah, you know, the uh, Schleiermacher contributed this. Uh, you know, Karl Barth contributed that. You know, and it's actually Karl Barth. Uh, yeah. Heigl and, you know, like all these philosophers, you know. And then Pastor Benjamin's like, yeah, that's interesting. Actually, he said this. And uh, his framework for how he saw the world was actually Aristotelian. You know, that's Aristotle. I was like, what? (laughs) And he just started educating me right there. And then things started clicking for me, what I kind of overheard throughout the semester when I was kind of (laughs) awake. And I realized, man, theology has been so influenced by philosophy that the only way we can discern which is from the word and which one came from Plato is we have to understand what the philosophers contributed. Anyway, I believe in 2012, there's going to be an increase of the word of God in this house. You guys are going to know how to correctly divide the word of truth. Third aspect, Jeremiah 29.6. It says, increase... In the NIV, it actually says, increase in number there and do not decrease. That passage is where I'm getting the theme for the year. And the third aspect in which God is going to bring increase for this house is increase in numbers. Let me tell you something right now. Right now, there's about 80 people in this room, right? This was the size of Hillside when I took over. It's about this size right here. 
You guys are more beautiful, though. Okay, it's about 80 people. <clears throat> and right away, the Lord put it on my heart. Pray for increase. Pray for numbers to increase. Pray for the movement, prayer movement to increase. Sunday swim used to be like 22 people, 20 people. The Lord was like, no. More people need to be here praying every week. Pray for that. Make it a matter of prayer. So we prayed. And we were like, Lord, bring 30 people. And we saw 30 people. And then we said, Lord, bring 40 people. We saw 40 people. Right? And so you know, we, we've grown quite a bit. And I remember during that time, in my early leadership, when I first took over, different people that had been around the church for a while, they came up to me. And they were like, I don't know if I, um, if I like praying about that. Why do we have to grow? I like the intimacy of this 80, 40, 80, 90 people. You know, when things get too big, you know, you know, nobody really knows your name. You know, it's hard to make friends. You know, you just want to go in and out like a movie theater. You know, why can't we? Why, why, what's wrong with just keeping it the way it is? And I said, yeah, Lord. Yeah, let's just keep it the way it is. And the Lord said, no, you are to increase. And so I kind of came off strong and I was like, no, no, we need to pray about this, y'all. If we really believe what God is doing here is amazing and powerful, we can't just keep it within these walls. We can't keep it with just these 80, 90 people. We need to grow. And so it was very unpopular. But I'm not a very popular pastor. I don't get anything out of the popularity. All right? And so I just kept going. I just kept praying. And different people, the sons, they, they came in agreement. John Michael's like, yeah, we got to pray that, pray that. No, and so we prayed. Diana sucked. She resisted being a son of this house. When she first came. When she first came. We actually, she, she, we actually grabbed dinner one time. She asked me all these questions. And I was like, what is going on? Am I being interviewed? I thought you're, com- you're the newcomer to our church. She's interviewing me. And, you know, she's like, I don't know if I want to stay here. And she just asked me all these questions. But I looked at her. I was like, you... You belong here. You belong here. And hallelujah. She belongs here. <laughs> She's here. But anyway, I mean, the sons of the house, they were like, amen. And we just start praying and praying and praying. That was three years ago. We have tripled since that time in average attendance. But what I feel like God is saying for this hour it's like you're, you haven't seen nothing yet. In three years from now, I don't feel like God is saying, yeah, you're going to triple again. What's triple of 240? 720, thank you. Three years from now, you guys will hit 720. It's like, oh, yeah. No, that's not what the Lord's saying. The Lord's saying, I'm going to bring increase to this house. I'm building my house. And there's going to be a great increase in numbers. And if you want to get with what I'm about to do in this house, you need to pray. Come in agreement with what I'm about to do in this house. You know, in the, in the early church, when they preached in the first message at Pentecost, you know how many people came to the Lord, right? 3,000. Now, in the body of Christ, there's all these um, people that teach uh, the simple church movement. Now, I believe that has a... a, a, a Context and a place where the simple church movement really fits. 
Actually, Pastor Benjamin was talking to me about it. He has a dream of starting a, a new uh, church planning movement that involves simple churches. But one thing you got to understand about New Philly is, look at our emblem here, right? What is that in the middle? Or what's that thing, that's that icon that Marcus made up. What does that remind you of? What does it symbolize? The city, right? The reason why we are named after a city, we have a we have an icon of a city in our logo, is because God, when I first began, God was like, I want you, I'm calling you to the city. And I want the people in the house to have a commitment to the city. So that means when you get married and have children and the rent is too high and the groceries are too expensive and you're, you want to move to the suburbs, God says, no! You need to stay right in the city, be committed to the city. There are artists in the city. There are business people in the city. And we need churches in the city. When Apostle Paul did his initial church plants, many of those church plants were to cities. Philadelphia is a city. Ephesus is a city. Philippi is a city. Now, now they didn't have 11 million people like Seoul. <laughs> but back then, according to their standards, that, it was a metropolis. It was pretty big. Center of trade, commerce. God has called us to be committed to the city. And in the cities where the apostles did their ministry, all right, thousands will get saved. Not just 80 people, thousands. So you have to understand, for people in the simple church movement, people who are in the simple church movement that honor the mega church, mega church movement, you know, I have no problems with them. But those in the simple church movement, they oftentimes, at the expense or or in opposition against megachurches, they will oftentimes be condescending and downplay megachurches and say the answer is simple churches. And then they use the Chinese church, the Chinese underground church as a, as a great model. And they say, you know, you see this? You just have to meet in people's homes. Church plants need to be more simple. Okay. I don't agree with that. Do you know why? Do you know why right now? If you go to America, there are some powerful men of God that I really respect. And they're planning... Mega churches, not simple churches, mega churches. In fact, uh, there's a church called Grace Church in L.A. Anyone know about Grace Church in L.A.? Their reputation is for planning churches in the Russian-speaking world. At a time where even, I think, the Soviet Union hadn't even collapsed yet, they were already going at it. This is a Korean church in L.A. It's called Grace Churches. One time when I was a college student, I went to Kazakhstan on a mission trip. And every time I go to Kazakhstan, I would evangelize to the Kazakhs. I'd evangelize to the Paruskis, the Russians. You know, I would just love on them and share the gospel with them. And, and then we used to work with the Nazarene church over there. And Nazarene church is more like a conservative evangelical type church. And they had maybe like 50 people, 60 people at their service. And I was like, wow, God is moving. Hallelujah in Kazakhstan. All right. One day, our staff, she took us to a different church for Sunday service. And I walked into this huge warehouse. And there must have been four or 5,000 people in there. And I was like, is this a Christian church? 
What is the name of this church? Who planted this church? That's when I first heard. It's a grace church. It's actually a Korean-American church out in L.A. whose pastor's heart's vision is to plant churches in the Russian-speaking world. This is one of them. It was like this Korean, Korean or Korean-American up there. He was preaching in Russian. It's nuts. I mean, it must have been like a supernatural impartation. No way he like learned Russian that fast. The Nazarene pastor was still getting translations. He had been there for like 10 years. He couldn't do it. Thousands of people. Year after, we went to another grace church in the same city. Thousands of people. The presence of God was so thick, I started crying the moment I went in. Uh, uh, the new capital, Astana. I go over there. Another grace church. Thousands of people they have renting out an elementary school auditorium. Don't tell me you can't plant megachurches. The first pl- church plants were megachurches. Craig Groeschel out in uh, America, LifeChurch.tv. He's planting churches. He's planting huge churches wherever he goes. Mark Driscoll, when he does his church plants, they're in the thousands. I don't know if all of them are, but a lot of them are big. Pastor Robert Morris in Texas. All right, well, he's, he's, I think he's opened up about three or four campuses now. All of those campuses, Gateway Church is one of the fastest growing churches right now in America in the last three years. Huge. They're at like 24 or 28,000. They're probably contending with uh, George o- Joel Olstein for the biggest church in America right now. And they have four satellite areas, like three or four satellite areas. The churches are huge. I believe God is calling us to plant churches with a simple church feel, but a mega church influence. Because you know what? Simple churches, God bless. I believe there will be simple churches that we even work with and partner with. But guess, guess when you listen to praise and worship albums, where, where, what churches produce those worship albums? Mega churches, Hillsong, Bethel, even IHOP is not a, a church, but you know they're in the thousands. The movement, you know, there are things that only mega churches can really leverage for the kingdom of God. It blesses the entire body of Christ. I believe we're coming to a t- time. All right, people are going to be listening to New Philly Live. We're going to get DVD. If there's some uh, video experts in here, come talk to me. It could be part of the future right here. But we'll produce New Philly DVDs. You know, we're watching Jesus Culture DVDs. And, you know, and they did a pretty good job. They had some crazy hair. Kim Walker had some crazy hair. We'll, we'll do your makeup better than that. So, Sonia, man, she'll get up there, you know. She'll just be singing. She'll be an icon in the, in the, in the Christian churches. Because I believe that's what God's calling us to. We are committed to the city, and I believe we have that kind of citywide influence. And I believe it's going to be because our church is going to increase in number. If you want to think thousands, God bless you. If you want to think tens of thousands, God bless you. You want to think hundreds of thousands, you're crazy. (laughs) But God will bless you as well. Uh, Obviously, that didn't stop Pastor Yonggi Cho. You know, I think they claim their membership is at 600,000. 
But what I realized was they actually count all their satellite churches all over Korea and different parts of the world. So their main campus actually doesn't have that many. You know, but um, nevertheless, he thinks in the hundreds of thousands. But guess what? Over in Nigeria, so do all these like poor Nigerians. These pastors there that came out of poverty, they're leading churches of hundreds of thousands. In South America, there are mega churches also in the hundreds of thousands. I met a, a pastor named Pastor Kong Hee from Singapore. He rents out convention centers every week because he can't find a building big enough to hold his services. I think his services are like 12, 15,000. Funny thing is, I believe Elise, our friend, told us, I think it's either the same building after one church leaves, the other church comes in. I don't know. You got to verify if this is true. But Pastor Joseph Prince also meets either in the same building or one adjacent to it. And his church is bigger than Pastor Kong Hee's church. Do you know how many people are in Singapore? It's a tiny little island. <laughs> now, come on now. I think they have like 1.1 million. I don't even know if they're in the millions. Five million? Oh, really? Man, last time I visited, it didn't look like you could fit five million on the island. All right. But I'm telling you right now, man, God is, God is, uh, that's where we are headed. And, uh, but I feel like we're hitting a time uh, where there might be a little bit of shaking. But we don't have to be afraid. God's using the shaking to prepare us to enter into our promised land. And you have a devoted mother and father that that we're going to shepherd you into that. We got Caleb's and Joshua's, like John Michael and Caleb. (laughs) (laughs) They're crazy. They're willing to go all the way to Busan, you know, for the the kingdom work. And so we're part of an amazing work, uh, and I'm just really honored and happy to be a part of it. And uh, get ready for the increase. Now, I heard some of y'all went to the singles conference. How many of y'all went to a singles conference? Oh, wow. So a lot of people from Itaewon went. All right. Hey, if you found somebody or somebody is kicking it to you, you have that gentleman talk to me first. Talk to the father first. Anyway, I heard, you know, over there, you know, it was, it was good, good to gather all the churches. I heard about three to 400 people showed up or something like that. It's good. But I also heard that, you know, some of y'all were like, so that's what it looks like to be uncovered. You know, like you forgot how it looks like because you've been here for so long. But you know, it's, you know, I see that here and there as well when I visit other churches and I work with other churches. What we got going on here is amazing. What I think is it's not just special. It's, it's for other churches. It's the new standard God's setting at this hour. It's actually not a new standard. It's an old one. It's in scripture. It just is being restored. Because all these crazy philosophers, man, jacked up our theologians. I love John Calvin. But man, there's some stuff John Calvin taught. Pastor Benjamin is actually helping me to see the ones, eat the meat and throw out the bones. And John Calvin, man, some stuff, man, he was just way off. Way off. You know who I really respect? Spurgeon. Charles Spurgeon. A lot of, almost everything he says, man, I'm, I'm full agreement with. That boy, he never had an education either. Never got a seminary degree. He had the largest library, though, in all of England. He's a well-read man. 
Like a Mark Driscoll. I see like the, I see Mark Driscoll has that kind of Spurgeon crazy reading anointing. That's not me, but I, you know, I, I, I do agree with Spurgeon on a lot of things. But uh, let me just close up right here. Let's close our eyes. Hallelujah. Now, tonight, tonight, I just wanted to have this kind of family talk with y'all. Because, man, God is taking us in to an awesome season. Crazy season. It's going to be a season of increase. And the, the temptation as we walk into the season will be, the deception that will come will be, the temptation will be to believe that we're not ready for it. That is a lie. We're still growing, of course. But I'm telling you right now, the word of the Lord is, I've set you apart. I have prepared you. And it is time to cross over into the promised land. It don't matter if you came two months ago. By virtue of covenant with this house, you're already ready as well. The thing about the kingdom is, you see, there are people like John Michael that's been here for years, sewn into it, sacrificed for it, sacrificed for the anointing to be built up in this house. And then there are people like Candace that arrived two months ago and make a 10-year commitment on the first Sunday they're here. They're here. But the cool thing about Jesus is he's very gracious. He says the first will be last and the last will be first. The people who came four years ago like John Michael, he's going to get to enjoy. But Candace is also going to get to enjoy. But we might be like, well, Candace didn't work for it. It's all right. Because the first will be last and the last will be first. Even if this is your first Sunday here today, if God has awakened something inside of you if you're bearing witness and you're starting to get a vision for what god's about to do in this house i'm telling you right now you are more than welcome you have an invitation an open door to jump right in come into relationship with this house come into commitment with this house and god will blow your mind he will take you he will do amazing things among you god said consecrate yourselves for tomorrow i will do wonders among you Hallelujah.